0: Okay, what's happening? Um, I hope you're good. Welcome back. Welcome to your first online recorded lecture on PSC 5044 Contemporary Issues. Um, I'm here with you today to introduce you to the module. We're going to start looking at some of the key ideas. We're going to start to break down um, some of the key concepts. And today really is going to be about some of the underpinning ideas behind what we how we look at things in the next few weeks. So, um... If anything, what we're doing here is we're developing a lens or a gaze. You're understanding the lens which we might look at some of our issues and problems through, okay? Um, And how we might try and understand some of the contemporary challenges that exist in PE and sport. So this is more about how we might understand them. The next few weeks, we're going to look at specific areas we might look to understand. All right. So I'm just starting off with a a thought for you all to think about, right? right. so that in an age where communication has become so accessible why have we become so ineffective at communicating it's just a thought I want you to have you can stop and you can pause the video for one minute and you can just start to think a little bit about you know how have social structures changed the way we communicate with each other how has society changed in terms of the way we communicate with each other and you might have some ideas um, so, I'll be interested to hear you talk about that when we communicate with each other in our seminar. How we communicate with each other is going to be possibly different to how it usually is. Okay, so just something to think about. So, first things first, um, your essays. This is the information on your essays. Now, if you go on the Moodle page and you go to the assignment guide section, um, you'll find some more resources that help you understand that. I will, you know, as a task for our next session. I would like you to have watched um, those videos, okay, and to have engaged with that. Um, But you can see here, you've got an essay, you've got a presentation. Um, I've got a guidance set up ready for you, and ideally, I'd like you to watch that, okay? So I'm not gonna break that down and go through it here because I've done that elsewhere. Um, But just, if you wanna pause and write this down, or if you wanna pause and then go back to the essay guide section and look at that, that's fine. but just to make you aware that that's there with a breakdown of the essays, the marking criteria, etc. Somehow I magically have more hair in one of those videos as well, so I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. Um, so, yeah. Right, we're gonna start off then, like I would ask you to start off in any essay, with defining our key concepts. Okay, so any essay, any presentation, we need to outline, we need to define our key concepts. We need to make sense of those key concepts. So start thinking about defining sport and PE. If I was to ask you to pause right now, what is sport and what is PE? How are they different? What would you come up with? What would you tell me? Um, how do you see the difference and the similarities? Okay, um, so what is sport? Well, sport, one definition, and look, if you look here, you can see it's an academic reference. It comes from Grant Jarvie. Um, he talks about this idea of it being a physical activity where there's skill involved um, and there's a performance or a contest, right? So sport is different to PE in that often that there is a contest, but it's got physical exertion involved. Um, often it's competitive with a winner or loser. And the achievement is measured against yourself or it's measured against um, others, right? So sport buys into that achievement, measurement, how is that different to physical activity? Well, if I just go out for a run, then I'm not competing against others or I'm not competing against the clock, does that become physical activity instead of sport? If it's not organised and structured, does that become physical activity? Um, You know, what's the difference between those two? At the moment, I'm you know, running most mornings. Um, I don't really have any goals or targets and I'm not really competing against the clock, I'm just doing it. Um... So, is that sport or is it physical activity? It's not organized i put on my I put on my shoes and I go um so that's something you know that I guess I want you to think about now. the other thing I get you to think about is um you know how do you think broader society defines sport? so if we were to watch the you know if you watch the media, what does the media define as sport compared to what do we define as sport um if an alien came down and were to watch the media what would they think sport was compared to if they went to um sunday league football game or a youth hockey game or or any sort of youth sports activities how would they see would they understand all the similarities or would they see them as being different you know if they watch sport in the media would they think that it's something that only men do um Because if you watch Sky Sports News, that might be the image that you present. Would they think that sport is football and golf if they watch Sky Sports News? Because, again, that's kind of what we see. How does that compare to, like I said, then going down to um, a youth sports centre or um, a youth sports club? Would they see them as being the same thing? So, those are questions that I want you to think about. And that's the sort of level that I want you to be thinking at as we go through the module. You know, not taking for granted the definition that I give you here, but also trying to think about how different areas of society might see the same thing differently. How the reality of sport for somebody who's playing sport might be very different for somebody who's watching a lot of sport. Um, And how those realities might be different at different levels for for people. And yeah, what role this has in shaping who we see, who we are, and how we go about things. Okay, so what is PE? Again, I think you probably see PE as being different to sport. And if I was to break it down, the national curriculum defines high quality PE as physical education, inspires all pupils to succeed, okay, Um, opportunities for people to become physically confident uh, in their health and fitness, opportunities to compete in sport and other activities build character Um, so you can see here that physical education and the national curriculum defines PE differently Um, but we have to be careful with definitions right Um, you know each national curriculum changes so does PE change each time the national curriculum changes national curriculums change when governments change so is PE the same now in 2020 as it was in 2007 Um, We had a different curriculum, we had a different government. Um, They had different political ideologies. So are the two things the same or or are they different? Um, It's interesting on here, you know, this definition of PE does bring out other characteristics. There's characteristics that are psychological, such as confident, opportunities, which we might see as social um, characteristics, you know, um, build character. Again, is that a psychological quality or is that a social quality in terms of developing particular behaviours and values? Um, so again, what is PE and how is PE different to sport? I think from those two definitions, you can almost start to see the difference. One's a bit more holistic, one's a bit more end goal orientated. But when you come to write your essays or do your presentations, it's really important that you define what context you're talking about. Um, there is an argument that sport influences PE very strongly especially sport in the media or sport participation outside of school Um, but it also has the other role right? PE influences sport, PE influences attitudes, beliefs, behaviours about sport if you have a negative experience of PE in school and that is the only experience of physical activity and sport you have does that make you less likely to engage these are questions that I think it's really important that we start looking and asking and they're the sort of thing we're going to address throughout the module but again when you come to write your essays that's why it's really important you define I'm actually looking at a youth sports context or I'm looking at a PE context or I'm considering how sport as in the you know sport in the media and sport in wider society influences the attitudes, behaviours, beliefs that individuals take into school PE or youth sports. It's really important that you're you're clear and you define those ideas. So that's a bit of our overview of those two main concepts. What is PE? What is sport? Now I probably haven't told you anything new. I haven't told you anything you don't already know. Um, But in the next section, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to Outline some of the main theoretical ideas and the theoretical ways which we're going to try to understand contemporary issues we're going to try and understand areas of class uh, inequality or we're going to try and understand why different groups participate in different activities? Why is there a lack of Asian individuals playing football? Why do we see um, a you know a lack of females in particular sports? Why do we see all these sort of patterns, but we're not just worried about these patterns as well. What are the structures that shape these patterns? So I'm going to outline, I guess, a bit of an overview of the different theoretical ways which we understand. So I would see see these as gazes, ways of viewing, ways of understanding, ways of reading um, the world of sport and PE, if you like. Okay. So we are using... Largely the social sciences here, okay. Um, and within social sciences, we have a continuum of micro, so what's happening on the individual level. So, over this side, individual psychology agency, what is happening to an individual? Why are individuals making choices? Um, how free are individuals to make the choices that they want to make? Okay, in the middle, we've got a miso scale so here we can sort of see um, sub questions of subculture so what's why what's happening in a particular region or a particular group so what's happening in this particular sports club or this particular region um, and particular trouble that somebody might be experiencing and here we might use social psychology we might also use some forms of sociology to understand this Um, and over here we've got our macro questions What structures exist in society that impact wide individuals? So right now, you know, um, how is the economy impacting people's participation in sport? And what factors are impacting the the economy? Something like COVID-19 will have had a significant impact upon the economy and who is able to access sport and education, you know, how is that changing the society? So those would be macro issues. Um, something like the media again we might see as a macro issue. How does the you know how does the media represent females in sport would be a macro issue. Um, but then how does um, individuals internalize the perceptions that they see related to the media it might be more of a micro issue. So again, there's an overlap between these. And the social sciences, sociology, philosophy, psychology, um, it spans this continuum. We, know we, we, we want to understand things on a micro level and we want to understand on a macro level. But what we have to be very careful not to do is use the national, international to always say these trends are happening, therefore this means this is why an individual does this. We can suggest that it might be some of the factors that influence why an individual does this, um, but we can't just make assertions from them. Okay, so how are we going to try and understand contemporary issues? So we've got three different areas which we can try to use to understand contemporary issues throughout the module. Um, Philosophy, which are questions about purpose. Sociology, which are questions about social structures. And social psychology, where we're largely going to be using this to look at questions about attitudes. Um, Now, um, each week, generally, I'll give you different theories that either fit into philosophy, sociology, or psychology. Um, For example, in the week on class, there's different readings used, um, different videos available. Um, Somebody like Nell Noddings would be a philosopher, somebody like Pierre Bourdieu and Karl Marx would be sociologists, okay, and someone like Abraham Maslow would be a psychologist. So there are different ways of understanding it. Um, why is Noddings a philosopher? Well, Noddings asks questions about the purpose of teaching. What is the purpose of teaching? And she would argue the purpose of teaching is about building relationships and caring. Okay, So that's a question about purpose. So that's philosophy. Um, somebody like Bourdieu, who is on the philosophical end of being a sociologist wants to understand how social structures um, his ideas of field capital and habitus impact um, the behaviours that people embody and also the, the capital that people have so how free they are to make choices so how, do, how does the social structures give them the freedom to make choices based upon class So. Those are questions about structures, questions about philo- uh, sociology. Whereas psychology, somebody like Abraham Maslow, looks at individuals and how individuals are moving along um, his hierarchy of needs. Do they have? Do individuals have feelings of safety and security? Do individuals have um, enough to um, to eat? Do individuals have have they developed self confidence? So he's he's psychology because it's about individuals and their attitudes and and their feelings okay so that's the real difference between those three um, and if we were to take a contemporary issue here we might take the example of volleyball um, and we might ask questions from these different disciplines now what is worth understanding is that any one question any one contemporary issue can be understood from a number of different perspectives now i'm not actually going to use physiology in this module um, but nonetheless, like it's worth recognising that in there. Okay, so questions about hormones and how they impact different biological sexes and impact suitability for volleyball could be a worthwhile question in trying to understand whether we should have mixed gender um volleyball sessions. And again, I, I I've slipped there, I've used the term gender when I refer to sex. And biological sex and gender are you know two different things. Um sociology but again that's a question of biology in that it's going up to hormones and physiology All right? sociology might look at the, the same question and it wants to understand the structures so what's happening in schools what are the social and cultural norms that happen in schools that teach volleyball and therefore um, how do those social norms, how is the way that it's taught, is it taught mixed sex, is it taught altogether um, in terms of the way that society runs the leagues, are the leagues all taught as mixed sex or are all taught as single sex, Um, how does that influence participation of different genders? Does that then mean that um, males, females, individuals who are transgender, non-binary, feel like they are less likely to take part in that sport because of the way it's structured? Okay, Um, the same question we could look at from the area of psychology. And we could look at how are you know how do those structures impact somebody's self esteem so if we 've got volleyball which is mixed sex volleyball, we might have volleyball which is single sex. How do those influence um, the self esteem of individuals from from who are of different genders how does that um, impact individuals who are cisgender males how does that impact cisgender females how does that in- impact those who are transgender, either transgender male or females, how does that impact individuals who are non-binary? So we could look at how, as a question of self-esteem, but that's about individual levels of reporting. Okay? And then finally, a philosophical question might ask, what is the nature and the purpose of volleyball? How does this fit with the experience of gender? Okay? Um, And again, that's coming back up to this idea about purpose, what purpose does it serve? Okay, so those are the lenses that we're gonna use. Do I expect you to come out of this as a expert in psychology, sociology, philosophy? Not at all. What they are is they're useful tools to help us understand the questions we're asking. They're useful tools for us as teachers and coaches to look at something that we've always seen in society and try and understand it in a slightly different way to how we understood it before, and that's all that I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to, um, you know, to come out of this module and to have a grand theory of social class from a philosophical perspective. All I'm asking you to do is to use these as tools, as part of your toolkit, to become a better coach teacher or somebody who's maybe wanting to work in sports development so psychology social psychology i'm going to hold my hands up here and say i'm more of a sociologist than i am a psychologist and that's the first thing that i want to get across to you okay however One of the main underpinning things that we might come back to at times and we might get you to think about and what I want to introduce today is this idea of there are different ways of understanding the concepts of attitudes in psychology. Okay, So if we start off with um, social psychology and we start off with some of these ideas here, people largely argue that attitudes may be shaped by three aspects, a cognitive, an affective and a behavioural component. So, the cognitive is our knowledge or beliefs about something. So, it might be our knowledge or beliefs about um, whether we believe that um, Asians are better at cricket. All right, we might have some knowledge that we've seen that makes us believe that they are inertly better than at cricket. Um, However, somebody who has studied biomechanics and somebody who has actually studied um, sort of human genomes might have knowledge that actually says, Well, your knowledge is based upon what you've seen in the park or what you've seen on TV. Actually, what I can tell you about genetics is there is nothing that would genetically make Asians better at cricket. So, our attitudes are shaped, some people would argue, by what we know, the knowledge of what we've got. Okay. Um, our effective component, how we feel about an attitude. Okay. So, We might feel a particular way, based upon our knowledge, we might feel a particular way about something. So remember, affective, always think about the term affection, with an A, rather than effective, which is about the end goal. So affective, affection with an A, effective, E with an end goal. Okay, so how we feel. Like when you're feeling affectionate, you know, you you, you feel warm and cosy, if you feel affectionate towards somebody. Um, So, yeah, how we feel about a particular thing in society that's going on, how we feel about a particular group of individuals, how we feel about a particular group of individuals taking part in sport, how we feel about a particular group of individuals, whether we feel like we are inferior or superior whether we feel like this is something that we can or can't do and then on top of that social psychologists would then look at the behaviour component how we intend to or think we should behave as a result of this so if my cognitive component tells me right I'm not very good or I have not seen I've got no knowledge of somebody who is a bald man in their 30s doing rock climbing, okay, and I don't know anything about rock climbing, Um, I've never studied rock climbing, then I may feel like I am not going to do, my attitude, my affective might be actually, I feel like I can't do rock climbing, I feel like that's not something that I would do, and therefore my behavioural component would be that I don't do it, I don't engage in it, right? Now, that's quite a... On some senses, that's quite a simplistic way of understanding me as a balding man in my 30s not participating in rock climbing. However, you know, actually sometimes we would argue that the knowledge we have, the way we feel and the behaviour we think that we're likely to engage in or we should do May start or stop us from doing something, so you can see there i 've got a task, and if you wanted to pause the screen, you could do, but write down five attitudes towards sports um, or contemporary issues that you have, so you might have an attitude towards whether you believe that we should have um, mixed you know mixed gender football as a professional sport, or you might have a you might feel like strongly that um, individuals who are transgender Females shouldn't be allowed to compete with cisgender females. Right? You may have a strong belief in that. Um, but then what I want what you to do is within each of those, go, right, what is my knowledge that has informed this? Where does that knowledge come from? What are my feelings? Where have my feelings come from? And if I was then in a setting where there was a chance to take part in mixed-gender football, or if I was in a setting where there was a transgender female playing football with me, or playing in my women's team, would I? What attitude would I have to involve in them? Right. So again, I think it's just a chance for you to have a look and to have a think about those, um, have a think about those three levels, and it's just a lens to work through. Um, now, this has evolved over the years, and some people have argued that that first aspect of social psychology I outline to you is in some ways a little bit simplistic right um, you can see here that what the behavioural element does is it is it almost at times suggests that oh well I've got this knowledge and this attitude then I'm going to behave in this way whereas someone like Katz actually said no we have to have an understanding of the functions of attitudes as well so yes I have the knowledge and understanding of the world, of the social world Um, but actually before I act upon that knowledge I I use the utilitarian function where I think about how is that going to maximise reward and minimise punishment for me so if I have an attitude which might be deemed as pretty negative in society then I might be likely to hold back from sharing that or act or I won't act upon that so if you strongly believed that um you know Nazism was the best political movement and that you should engage with this um or you strongly believed in in football that we should replace referees with robots you may not express or act upon that attitude because you might feel like actually you're going to get punished for that socially Um, and you might you might strongly believe that essays don't best represent learning. But at the same time, you know that writing an essay might get you a good grade. So that utilitarian function, you may maximise reward to act upon that. Okay. Um, now, Katz also argues that we have this value expressive function. So on top of the knowledge function, which is sort of building upon the previous slide, and the utilitarian function, which is about maximising punishment and reward, um, in terms of our attitudes, we also have the value expressive function, where um, sometimes that we could argue that if I express particular values and behaviours, I see that as part of my identity. So I think compared to some of your other lect- lecturers, you might identify me and Nicola as being quite, quite left-wing, um having these these ideas about equality and diversity um and by expressing our values that provides us a sense of who we are okay we're the people that talk about equality and diversity in your lectures um and you could argue that um sometimes you know that is who our identity of who we are as lecturers it differs to maybe some of the other stuff you see um but also um there's a, another argument where we would sort of say that there's a an ego-defensive behaviour, okay? So that sometimes the final aspect is, well, in terms of attitudes, sometimes we might demonstrate one attitude, which is in complete conflict with our beliefs. Um, and, you know, so some individuals might express attitudes which actually conflict with their identity. So we might see individuals who are, very very homophobic um but part of that may be about suppressing part of their um you know part of their identity um and there's a wrestler here who i've given an example of who um who you can go and research his name's Lars sullivan i won't go into the details of it but you know had some said some pretty bad homophobic stuff in his past only for other elements of his identity to then come out so sometimes, on top of the utilitarian function about maximising rewards, actually, the attitudes that we develop or that we exhibit may be seen as a, you know, defending our ego, and our ego is based upon how we think society will perceive us. So social psychology looks to unpick all of these different elements of, of attitudes, and in itself, do you need to know all of these bits as we go through? Probably not. Are they useful to try and understand Why groups of individuals may not participate in particular sports or why groups of individuals might feel like, um, you know, they don't belong in a particular place or why the media repeats particular ideas. Yeah, I think they're kind of useful in that. So while I don't expect you to come out of this as a social psychologist at the end, I think you might find some of these things useful in terms of making sense of the world. Okay, so again just you know another bit of a task there to think about um but i just want you to pause the video um and i just want you to think about you know you may have a particular attitude towards something that you might feel is not necessarily oh uh, yeah you might have an attitude towards gender which you know is unpopular or you might have an attitude towards a particular ethnic group which is is you know is really you might be unpopular in particular settings um and you, you might feel like there's times when you've not expressed it so for example I you know I I'm probably these days I'm very strongly in favor of what I'd call affirmative action um which are strategies which look to get um, individuals from minority groups into roles that they may not have been before. Um, Now, we don't necessarily have to break that down. But If I was down Millwall, I might not express that to people because I couldn't be bothered with the hassle of trying to explain it. So there might be things that you might feel really strongly about. It might be about being inclusive but it might also be about being exclusive and look we all have our quirks and we all have our stuff that we need to work through Um, you might feel strongly that transgender individuals shouldn't participate in elite women's sport Um, and we just think about a situation when you've not expressed it why did you not say it why did you not share it right so again when we come to the seminar you don't have to tell me what the attitude is But I want you to tell me why you didn't bother engaging in the discussion at that time. And, you know, how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel complicit? Did you feel bad? I know there's times that I haven't challenged people and stuff because I feel like it would damage the relationship we have. Um, But I feel bad because I feel like if I don't challenge them, then as a society, are we going to make progress? So just some questions to think about. Right, so that's the psychology side of things done. I told you it wasn't going to be heavy. I told you I was just going to literally try and give you a few bits to be thinking about. Now we're going to move on to some general sociological concepts. Um, I'm going to try not to get too excited because I could probably do hours and hours and hours and hours and hours hours in sociology. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay, so society and culture. Outlined this to you before. But where psychology is about the individual, uh, sociology is about culture, it's about society. So we looked at this last year, didn't we? Culture consists of ways of life that people create in a particular society. Culture relates to ways of meaning um, and having shared ideas and shared meanings. Whereas society, and I think I use the example of sports clubs and societies, is a group of people who live in a particular territory or have a common system of political authority so if we were to take a society we could talk about Britain a society we have a common uh, set of rules that we follow in the the form of laws but we could look at um, the LGBT society at St Mary's Um, we could look at the Afro-Caribbean society at St Mary's we could look at the netball club, football club, rugby club they all have a common system of authority they have different chairs, they're governed by the particular rules um, of the university, of the student union, so there's a common system of political authority, and they have a distinct ident- identity, so individuals who are part of the Afro-Caribbean society, or the Islamic society, or individuals who are part of a, the football club, the rugby team, ultimate fr- frisbee, there is a distinct I- identity, right? So that's maybe sometimes why we call them a society. Ultimate frisbee has the reputation of being mixed gender in terms of the games they play. They have male teams, female teams. They also have mixed gender teams. It seems to be um, a somewhat inclusive sports team for individuals who feel like they don't want to participate sometimes in some of the other teams. It has a slightly different culture, right? Um, Drinking culture isn't as strong. We could take the group, we could take the EPAC and the athletes there, which I was. A member of a long, long time ago. Um, they had a different culture or way of life. They had a distinct identity. Um, they have a slightly different system of political authority in that they had um, paid coaches who are elite coaches um, and that has a different social authority. Um, and they have a different culture. So we can look at it in those ways. But we can also look at culture. And subcultures being about things like ethnicity, being about religious background, um, and they're really important to understand. Um, But it's also really important to understand that they're not always the same, right? So I had a student a few years ago who um, did their dissertation on Pakistani, um, the Pakistani diaspora, and students from the Pakistani diasporas, their experiences and attitudes towards careers and sports, and their parents' attitudes towards careers and sports. But she was very, very, very quick to point out that the study was a study of culture, it was a study of Pakistani culture as opposed to a study of religion. While religion was interpreted, religion was interpreted through a cultural lens. Okay, um, and so again, while they interlink, they're not the same. Okay, so some more sociological concepts just to, to get your head around. Social social order, okay? Um, we're referring to the order of society. Um, and when we refer to social order, it's about the idea of how things are staying the same or different. Is the social order been challenged? Um, within a given society, has the, the power structures been challenged? The political governance been challenged? Are the same people on top who were on top at the start you know ten years ago to the people who are running the rugby club seem to look sound and act very similar to the people who run the rugby club now Um, or is it a different group of individuals who are now running that Okay. Um, the concept of social mobility is one that we hear a lot in society Um, but the idea that any individual can move and change their status so we hear this about sports people a lot, footballers Um, You know, somebody like Raheem Sterling, somebody like Wayne Rooney, um, sprinters, uh, middle distance runners. somebody um, like Mo Farah. We could argue that there's an argument that they've been socially mobile because they have changed their status in society. They've got more money. um, They're held in reverence. Somebody like Mo Farah has got a a knighthood. I imagine Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling will be given honours in the next ten to fifteen years for some of the actions that they've done. Um, so that's a concept of being socially mobile, moving from one part of society to another. Their, their status in the political hierarchy has changed, um, you know. And again, I, I'm really conscious I've only given male examples there, um, and uh, you know we could look at it differently through different lenses in different countries. Um, We could definitely say that, you know, somebody like um, Caster Semenya, for example, has been socially mobile in South African society. So, again, it's a concept that we hear a lot about Um, and in many ways embedded in our beliefs in society that one, everyone should be and aim to be socially mobile or if you're from a less affluent background, you should definitely be aiming to be socially mobile. We should be aiming to be getting more status and more money. Okay. Um, And two, it's very much built into our education and our sports systems. A lot of people's goals to succeed in sport or education is about social mobility. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's actually something that's built into them. Um, And then the concept of social equality. So... You know, the idea about fair, consistent treatments. Do we treat everyone the same? Should we treat everyone the same? Or actually, is treating everyone the same part of the problem um, if they come from a different cultural background? Um, does everyone have the same rights and accesses to services for all individuals? Um, since lots of the teaching has gone online, that's been a massive question At you know, in education. Does everyone have a laptop? No. Does everyone have a microphone to be able to be involved in a Zoom chat? No, right? So, how does social equality exist? You know, some areas brought out a um, brought out a policy on digital equality. Does everyone have a decent Wi-Fi dongle? Like, and is that impacted by things like social class? I could tell you, in terms of access to education, technology is very much a class-based issue right now. Um, you guys will know. You will know your situation with your Wi-Fi. You will know how easy or hard it is to get Wi-Fi in your area and to get a decent signal in your area based upon the population density. You also know that population density um, in urban areas tend to be higher. Higher population density in urban areas seems to be lower socioeconomic status environments, right? And I'm using urban, but we can also think about that in terms of um, small, you know, in lower income areas outside of, of London as well. You know, and particularly in rural areas. So, again, does everyone have fair access? They're all sociological concepts that we're going to be trying to understand throughout the module. So, we use the term social equality, that's what I'm referring to. Um, And effectively, I quite like this diagram, but when we're understanding sociology, we're trying to understand things from what we call the sociological imagination. We're trying to understand how structures, so that, uh, you know, that could be sports clubs, schools, Um, which fits quite closely with institutions, but um, also policies and processes, how all of these things impact people's behaviors, okay? Institutions, as I said, schools and sports clubs, we would really see as institutions, structures, we see social structures as in groups of people that identify in a particular way or are structured in a particular way, processes, things like the use of media, things like technology, Things, all of that we would see as social processes, um, how easy we can interact with one another, what processes reinforce beliefs, what processes challenge beliefs, what processes make me believe and shape my attitudes, what processes make me feel like I can do something, what processes make me feel like that sport is something I'm not going to do. Okay. Um, So we're trying to understand the structures in terms of the groups of people. social structures they are so they're a social structure it's a social group of people who collectively fit together in a particular way um the processes that exist the institutions that exist discourses and ideologies so ideologies are ideas and beliefs that have impact okay expectations what expectations do i have of myself what expectations do other people have of me what expectations do i have of entering a setting When I enter a setting, do I expect that I'm going to be treated the same as everybody based on my previous experience? When I enter a setting, do people expect that I'm not going to be able to swim? Okay? And then social relations. So these are all the things that we're trying to kind of understand. Um, And there's just a little bit more of an explanation there. Um, You know, I've put this this idea up as an additional reading. If you want to go and understand it a bit more, you can go and look at Thompson's work. Um, I didn't really mention discourse, but the idea of language, how language develops meanings and assumptions, I think is really, really important. Um, do we say do we say both sexes or do we say all genders right now effectively, both sexes has an ideology and a discourse behind it, even though I haven't meant to if I've said both sexes I'm suggesting sport is male and sport is female. If I say all genders I'm suggesting that it's for cisgender males, cisgender females people who are prefer not to say people who are transitioning, people who are um, you know non-binary. Now discourses in some senses affect power. They affect how we see the world. They affect how we see ourselves. They affect how we see spaces which we can and can't enter. Okay. And what are the social connections that we have with others? You know, relations are really important. How does a shared workspace, shared education space, shared interest, um, shared sense of identity or adversity shape who we feel we are? How does it unite? How does it divide? So um, some year groups that I've taught have been really united for whatever reason. um, They see themselves as having a very shared sense of identity as students, Who are wanting to become PE teachers. Others have been very much split, and sometimes that's along a gendered and classed lines, sometimes that's along on campus, off campus lines, sometimes it's along racialized lines. We sort of, you know, we'll have groups of students who stick together um, because they have social connections with each other, um, but other times people will see themselves as having more shared social connections as being part of the course. But again, you might have a group of people who, going back to attitudes, all have varying, because of their backgrounds and where the institutions they've been in, all have varying perceptions of that. So it's not uncommon for me to see, for example, at university, that some of our um, students who are on campus and who are heavily involved in sports teams, they view everyone as being part of the same community, everyone's engaged. They look around the class and they see everyone is having a really, really positive time. Whereas some of the students who are commuting, especially over a long distance, and don't have as strong social relations with others in the group, will sometimes see it as actually quite a lonely and fragmented space. And actually they will view the classroom to be fragmented along lines of things like race, gender, class, etc. And to some extent, there's some truth in both of those perspectives. Okay, but social relations really have power and influence upon how we behave and how we engage and who we feel belongs and who we feel doesn't belong. Okay, so I'm just going to take another sip of tea because I've been talking for a long time and, um, yeah, like, I'm probably just talking at you. So the final concept I'm going to introduce, and I'm going to stop it there after this, is the sociological imagination. Um, And the sociological imagination comes from a guy called C. Wright Mills, who saw himself, he's often portrayed as a bit of a rock star of sociology, um, just because there's a photo of him on a motorbike in the 1950s. So C. Wright Mills famously, going back to this idea at the start about macro and about micro, okay, phrased the term troubles and issues. And within sport, okay, we might look at it in particular ways. So the trouble is a personal trouble or it's a symptom of something that's happening in one place or one space. So if one football club goes out of business um, because of COVID-19 and not having fans, that could be seen as a personal trouble because they weren't very well organised, they weren't run very well. So when we talk about the milieu, it's the social world which is going on at that time, right? It's the personal troubles of the social media. So if mill will go out of business because they've been run really badly, they've overspent um, because of COVID-19, that's a personal trouble. Um, if one person is racially abused or receives homophobic abuse, um, that's a personal trouble because it only happened once. Okay. Um, issues then for C. Wright Mills is when actually it's a result of social structure. So if... 10 football clubs, 13 football clubs go out of business. That's a social issue because it's a public issue. That's happening because of the structure of the leagues and the impact of COVID-19. If racial and homophobic microaggressions are found to be commonplace in sports settings and they're stopping individuals from those backgrounds from progressing into senior roles... That would be perceived as a public issue. It's structural. It exists in society. So, C Wright Mills was really clear on trying to understand the difference between troubles and the difference between issues. When you come to write your essay, um, when you come to think about PE teaching, it's really important that we start to distinguish the difference between the two. Are we looking at a particular incident? Are we looking at a social trend? So. The one case of homophobic abuse could be seen as not being necessarily a huge, that would be a trouble. If on social media we are seeing increasing numbers of homophobic abuse towards a sports person who is openly out about their sexuality and social media has facilitated that, so that is a change in social processes where that attitude may have been seen as a personal attitude a while back. But now because that, that conforms to a wider group of individuals who are um, sharing that attitude, that might be then seen to become an issue. All right. I hope that makes sense. Um, and so, yes, yeah, C. Wright Mills was like very conscious that whenever we read any um, issue within society, any questions in society, we need to look at it through what is happening in the wider world. You know, when, when war, he sort of made this point that when war occurs, um, the salesman becomes a sol- soldier, right? Um, and we have to see those bigger picture things. We have to see that bigger th- picture about how identity has changed. Um, when industry changed, the peasant becomes a worker, he gives the point. Or um, when football became a business, football has become brands, right? Like when social media became a business, your images had economic value more than they had personal value. So Right Meals is like we've got to see this, the big picture. What is the process and the structural change that has influenced what we're seeing, what we take for granted on an everyday basis. Um, And for him, it was about neither the life of an individual or the history of society. And for C. Wright Mills, and there's a really good chapter which I'd recommend that you all read um, to get you guys sort of starting and thinking about this. um, You know, he said, we have to understand the political, the historical, the cultural, and then we need to be critical as well. So neither the life of an individual or the history of society can be Understood, without understanding both, they overlap, they interlink. Um, why has somebody like Marcus Rashford had such a profound impact now than you know maybe four, or five, or ten years ago? You could argue that social media changed the process. COVID nineteen and people's worries about their own financial precarity then maybe increased their empathy towards others who are slightly who are in. Um, precarious positions okay Um, we could argue that he's someone like Marcus Rashford Raheem Sterling social media has given them a platform for their ideas to be valued by others but also it may be provided a platform um, that other players in the past didn't have Um, you know somebody like John Barnes has been saying things that Raheem Sterling has been saying for years Um, so those are the historical In terms of the political, we know right now that we are in a political times where politics are more polarised. So people are more likely to buy into somebody, you know, support somebody like Raheem Sterling now than ten, you know, than under the New Labour government before social media really came about, um, because there was less um, less of an appetite for um, strong, inclusive ideas. So. You'd be seeing the history, the the cultural stuff which is going on um, and the political stuff all coming together. And that's how we should analyse any situation. So I'm going to stop it there because I feel like I've been talking to you for a long time. Probably been talking to you for too long. um, But hopefully you've got something useful from this. And again, I probably should have said at the start, pause, hit, repeat, go, whatever. Whatever works best for you. You know, you don't have to watch this all in one hit.